Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message regarding Jesus' teaching about the end of the age. You can follow along with the message in Matthew 24, 1-57, Mark 13, 1-37, and Luke 21, 5-38. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. You were just singing a very powerful chorus in the flood and the fire. You're with me and you won't let go. Do you know that to be true? Because the flood and the fire are externals to us. It means our lives are immersed in tragic, violent, threatening, even catastrophic circumstances. Which we see some of in our culture, don't we? You know, the reason that I wanted us to really study the life of Jesus is that so we would know how to respond in a changing culture. You say, well, Jesus doesn't understand our culture. No, no, our culture is much milder than the culture that he lived in. Our culture is still more peaceful than the culture he lived in. Understand, Jews and Gentiles hated each other, detested each other, resented each other. And Jews and Gentiles both resented Samaritans. And the resentment went both directions. In addition, there was not two political parties at war. There was five political parties. The Pharisees who wanted people to obey the law, not necessarily know know God, but obey the law, follow these rules. The Sadducees said, you know what, just, I mean, the temple is good and this religion is good, but we don't really believe in the resurrection or angels or spirits or miracles. The liberals. You also had the, the Herodians. They supported the king who had been put in place by the Romans. So that's who they were, were backing. You had the zealots who were, wanted to fight off the Romans, kill them and take over Israel. And then you had the Essenes who just said, we just want to live in peace. So they pulled back out of the culture. They moved into the wilderness and they just studied the scripture and lived an isolated existence. And they all wanted Jesus. And they wanted him to affirm their position. To take their side. And he wouldn't. For he said, as David quoted to you this morning, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Is that the focus of our lives? Debating words. Who said this? What is this? This person shouldn't said this. He should have said that. And Romans says, let God be true and every man a liar. What are we warring over? What are we concerned about? Today's message is focused on Jesus' second coming and it's called birth pains. If you'll open your book to reading 171. Begins on page 198. But take out your message guide from your program. And remember the outline is the first two panels. Today's theme, the verse, 
is, and what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Do you know what the end of the age is? What's it also called? End of times, day of the Lord. But it's, it's the end of life as we know it. It's the end of this, this temporal world that we live in that somehow we think is eternal because we grasp it so tenaciously. But one day, the sky will rip open, Christ will return, and all that we see will vanish. In fact, Matthew chapters 24 and 25 is, is a single sermon. It's a prophetic sermon in which Jesus describes to his disciples a future that they won't experience personally. Now understand, these Jews knew the covenant. They knew that God had promised his people future blessing. Although they thought it was limited to them, although he said the blessing was to the world. He promised them deliverance from their enemies and prosperity. He promised them that the, he would establish his kingdom on earth. Ruled over by the Messiah who was in the line of David. But the Jews misunderstood one very important matter. They didn't conceive that there could be two arrivals. They had no understanding that Jesus would come first to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin and then come a second time to establish his kingdom on earth. They were so temporal, so physical in their orientation that they could not conceive that the deliverance was from inward sin rather than from outward oppression. So we begin in reading 171. And this first part is taken from Matthew 24 at verse 1. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple complex... His disciples came up and called his attention to the temple buildings. How it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. Now Jesus had spent all day Wednesday of Passover week, which is also called the Feast of what? Unleavened bread. And they both referred to the Exodus. And so he gave his last public teaching and in that teaching he pronounced intense judgment against false religious leaders but also unbelieving Israelites so Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple mount and they noticed the buildings they were tall buildings these were common men from Galilee they were fishermen they were farmers and so they'd never seen such such majestic buildings. The temple was adorned with a, with a solid gold vine that represented Israel. And there were jewels and, and, and this architecture just left them spellbound and speechless. When I was 20 years old, I got on an Amtrak train 
and rode it from Savannah, Georgia to New York City. And imagine the hayseed walking up out of the subway. I'd never seen such. There you have a small glimpse of what these men, common men, uneducated, living in the rural areas, were dazzled by these majestic buildings, soaring heights, made of huge stones, 40 feet wide by 12 high and 12 wide. And then his response would have shocked these humble men at verse 2. Then he replied to them, Do you not see all these things? I assure you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. And this would happen about 40 years later in 70 AD. But understand this. It's my belief, again, you take it for what it is, that when Jesus spoke of upcoming events, he also spoke through those events to the ultimate events that would come. The temple was destroyed all the way down to the foundation stones by the Romans attacking in 70 AD. Killed 1.1 million Jews torched the temple, destroyed it. In fact, when we were in Israel last fall, these huge stones still lie on the pathway below the temple mount. They're just sort of chaotically strewn about on this sidewalk, which was where the temple, the marketplace beside the temple was, which is likely where Jesus cleansed the temple. Still there today. So Jesus and his disciples then left the temple through the eastern gate. They crossed the Kidron Valley and they ascended the Mount of Olives. And he continued in verse 3. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple complex. See, on the Mount of Olives, which isn't real high, and it's not far across, perhaps perhaps a mile, maybe a bit more. But you can see the Temple Mount very clearly from the Mount of Olives. You, you, what you see, of course, there's no temple, but there are two mosques, and you see the gold-domed mosque that now occupies the Temple Mount. But, but it was a, just a clear, direct shot of view from the Mount of Olives to the Temple Mount. The disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? When all these things are about to take place. See, understand this. The disciples thought it was about to happen. Because remember, on Sunday, we had the triumphal entry. And people were shouting and waving palm fronds. And yelling, hallelujah. The son of David has come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so these disciples thought it's going to happen certainly by the end of this week. And the Romans will be conquered and they'll be driven out. And Herod will be stripped from the throne. And Jesus will ascend and we will be with him. 
And then Jesus started to, to describe what would happen before his return. And the end of the age. Jump down to Matthew 8 because I want to give you the context of what we'll consider this morning. All these events are the beginning of birth pains. Anybody ever experienced birth pains in this room? How pleasant. Birth pains or labor pains don't begin until shortly before delivery time. Now, some of you are saying, shortly, it was 10 hours for me. I know, but it, not many go beyond 24 hours. Is that fair? 23 hours and 45 <laughs> And they occur with increasing frequency and greater pain until the baby is born. One of my major mistakes, one of many, was I thought it would be a grand idea for Evan to be delivered about two miles from our house. Little community hospital, they had these brand new birthing suites. You, had, you were given a room. That's the room where you delivered your baby. Furthermore, anybody could come in and see you throughout your labor. Does that sound like a good idea? I don't know where Leanne is, but... So, y'all know I, we were in Texas. This hospital was Missouri City, Texas, suburb of Houston. I was on staff with Fenton Moorhead. Hadn't been there that long. So Fenton comes into the birthing suite. He loved technology. Here's a screen that shows you graphically your contractions. As the pain increases, it starts spiking. Fenton was just enamored with that. Leanne was not enamored by his comments. <laughs> so I'm going, we, we haven't been here but a few months. I can't bear to lose this job. Needless to say, Aubrey was delivered in a woman's hospital where nobody can get near you. <laughs> not a good decision on my part. But the pain increases, the frequency increases before the birth, which symbolizes the return, the emergence of our Christ. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. And he's telling us. So what are the signs of Jesus' return? I'm not going to teach the entire passage. It's much too lengthy. I'm just going to deal with five Signs of birth, five birth pains. The first is deception by false messiahs. Verse four, then Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. 
For many will come in my name. They'll come as Christ representatives. Saying, I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. It's also in Matthew 24, verse 23. It's also in 2 Thessalonians 2, throughout the new scripture, really. The first birth pain to signal Christ's return will be widespread deception by an increasing number of false saviors or false preachers or false teachers. Now, verse 4 begins what is called the Olivet Discourse. Why do you think it's named that? Yeah, because he said it on the Mount of Olives. And scholars have to, you know, dress it up a little bit. And Jesus is giving his response to the disciples' question about the future. Now, here's what happens. As the time for Jesus' return approaches, the Holy Spirit starts withdrawing his restraining power. 2 Thessalonians 2.7 The moral and spiritual influence of the church declines. The culture deteriorates and evil expands. Any of that sound familiar? Then as the suffering increases, these false deceptive messiahs will arise claiming a better way, a more enlightened view, a way to not see this gospel as, as so dreary and, and as not requiring some suffering and some self-denial. But they offer a smoother path, a way out of pain and anguish and despair and fear and hopelessness and some of these false messiahs will perform miracles is that surprising how could that happen because Satan has the power over miracles and he won't be able to mislead God's children though See, some of you are thinking, oh, no, I might get fooled. I might get caught up in it. No, no, no. You won't be misled because of the spirit within you. 2 Corinthians 11, 12 through 15. Now, some of these false messiahs will form groups and churches, big churches, maybe from coast to coast. But others will merely deceive people into believing there is no God or he's a God who is more about little cherubic angels and blowing kisses and wanting only for you to be happy according to whatever you desire. And some will say, no, freedom can only be achieved by throwing off the restraint of religious faith and becoming the center of your own life. Become your own God. Well, who are these people? Perhaps college professors, celebrities, bloggers, self-improvement speakers. It really can be anyone 
who turns you from focus on God to fixation on self. So here's the first application. Are you being led or influenced to doubt the authority of the Bible in spiritual and moral matters? Because wherever that influence is coming from is a false messiah. Another sign will be disputes and warfare. Verse 6. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. The second birth pain involves intensified and increased disputes and warfare among and within the nations of the world. And these conflicts include physical combat, but also terrorism, cyber warfare, as well as economic and political conflict. But they also include racial, ethnic, and cultural confrontations. And our country, as faith loses its influence... And as it loses, as it diminishes its influence in your life, what divides us will become more prominent than what unifies us, which is our common faith in Jesus Christ. Do you understand? If I assert all of my supposed rights, I can't get along with anyone else. You see that? So if I'm concerned about me, you're going to be in my way. There is cultural tumult. Which side should we take? Should we rebuke the president or encourage the president? Should we rebuke the Protesters, should we encourage the protesters? What should we do? Which one will extract hatred from men's and women's lives? Should we tear down all the statues? Listen, I had uncles that fought in the Civil War, but you know what? I don't care about statues. I bet most of you have never even read a plaque. So I'm not... I don't care about that. Here's what my concern is. If I tear down something external to me, how does it change the internal part of me? Does it remove anger, wrath, fear, hostility? I don't think so, but I'm not arguing for either either of those positions because I think the issue is other than that see the Jews and the Gentiles detested each other and they detested the Samaritans and the mystery of godliness that Paul writes about was that Jesus was going to come and offer himself for the Jew and the Gentile furthermore they become one body I wonder if he means the black and the white. 
the Caucasian and the Hispanic and the African American and the Asian and the do you think that could be what he means? Currently there are 10 of official wars and eight active military conflicts being waged as well as other violent conflicts that involve 64 countries and 576 militias and separatist groups. CNN in 215 reported that there was a 650% rise in fatal terror attacks resulting in over 29,000 deaths. In 2014, only 11 countries out of 162 had no conflict. And then Jesus says something that is startling, if not absurd. Look at it. See that you're not alarmed. Does that seem ridiculous? What do you think, Daniel? But here's the reason. Because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation. Kingdom will rise up against kingdom. But it seems absurd to not be alarmed by that. But the perspective from which Jesus is speaking is that these things are certain evidence that God's plan is progressing. I wish I could promise you the world is going to become sweeter before Christ returns. But in the scripture doesn't say that. Because as people move away from Christ and focused on self, by definition, there'll be greater hostility and conflict. You want to do an experiment? Tonight, go home, husband and wife and the children, and all of you demand everything you want. See how well that works. And these terrible events must take place and intensify before the end arrives. You say, well, you're scaring me to death. No, I'm trying to tell you God's truth so you flee to the only one place there's security. And it's not in this world. So right now, are you praying, hopefully, in the midst of global and cultural conflict? Are you praying? We gather at 8.15. You come on. Let's cry out. Cry out for God that he would lessen the days of suffering. A third sign will be disaster and devastation. Verse 7b. There will be famines and earthquakes, and you can also include in the, in the Greek disease epidemics and in various places. The next birth pain about the end of time will be devastation caused by natural disasters. Now, natural disasters have occurred 
throughout world history. But like those labor pains before birth, the number and frequencies of catastrophes will increase before Christ's return. I did some research. In the 17 years between the year 2000 and the year 2017, there were 2,697 major earthquakes. One century earlier, from 1900 to 1917, there were 97 major earthquakes. It's as though that passage that says the earth is groaning in the pains of childbirth is beginning to occur. The earth was not made to be eternal. And there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. You know, in 2.14 and 2.15, there were four blood moons which coincided with Jewish feast days. First time in 2,000 years it ever happened. What in the world's a blood moon? You know? It's a lunar eclipse. And it shows red. But the scripture refers to blood moons. Acts 2, 20 and 21. Joel 2, 31, 32. A solar eclipse happens tomorrow. Did y'all know that? Listen to me. Do not look at the sun if you do not have some glasses. And they're not obtainable. So in other words, if you don't have yours, keep your eyes closed. I got mine. And also there's something interesting. What's referred to as the Star of David, which is a convergence of Jupiter and Venus, reappeared on June 20th in 2015. For the first time in 2,000 years. And you've heard me teach this before. That some thought it was the convergence of those planets. That was the star that the wise men saw. I don't, I don't know about that. I'm not convinced of that. But it's unusual isn't it. That it's 2,000 years. You say well I'd like to know more. Well let me tell you. One of our ladies Krista Smith. Has done a fine job compiling information like this. She has a blog on a site. Readyandwatching.com so, so are these events announcing the return of Jesus Christ? The ones I just mentioned in the heavens. Will Jesus follow tomorrow's eclipse? I don't know. I mean, you do realize, don't you, that eclipses happen not infrequently. It's just that they don't always happen over America. They happen over the polar caps. They happen over the ocean. They happen over other countries. It's just that we're so attuned to it because it's trailing right through Greenville. But one even happened in 1970. I remember it. We saw it in Georgia. An additional sign is distress and persecution. The fourth labor pain of the end times will be the persecution of believers. Verse 9. Then they will hand you over to persecution and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. 
They will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons. That's both the religious and the civil authorities. And you will be brought before kings and governors. I mean, that's the religious and the civil authorities. Because of my name. In other words, being identified with Christ will cost Christians their freedom. Not because of something they've done, because of who they are. Because of their identities. Now you say, but didn't that happen in 70 AD? Yes, it did. And it happened throughout the early days of the church. And it's happening all the way up to today. Remember, it points to something that's going to happen in the near future and points through it to something that's going to happen in the more distant future. But being identified with Christ will cost Christians their rights, their respect, their freedom perhaps, and even their lives. See, the unbelieving world will intensify its hatred of God. And because they cannot attack God directly, they will fiercely attack his people. Which is who you are. Which is who I am. Persecution.org reports that 200 million Christians currently live under persecution. 200 million worldwide. And the number's rising, particularly in not only the Islamic world, but also in India, Hindus are becoming more and more aggressively militant and desire to wipe out Christianity by 2020 in, in India. We have friends in Liberia, ministry partners, and in India, and they both have, have men that they work with who have been murdered. They've been attacked. They've been beaten. I've told you Dennis was chained to a tree or tied to a tree for three days. The Vatican reported that 100, 000, recently 100,000 Christians are killed annually because of their faith. Others are forced or subjected to forced displacement, to the destruction of places of worship, to abuse and violence and rape and the abduction of leaders. And see, we're going, oh my goodness, Google it. Well, what about us? Well, can't you see that the growing mistreatment of believers is increasing? It's occurring. It includes the, the forced removal of faith symbols. It includes silencing the expression of faith from any government building, any institution. It includes the, the, the just unthinking mockery of the Christian faith in media and the labeling of Christian moral standards as narrow-minded, intolerant, phobic and the treatment of Christians is growing more violent in our culture have you experienced mistreatment for your faith If you haven't, you may in the future. But look what he says again. Verse 13. The result of this persecution is, is that it will lead to an opportunity for you to witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, for I will give you such words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Now, I want you to, I want you to feel this for a moment. 
you're suffering, you're being mistreated. Perhaps at work, perhaps in your neighborhood, perhaps in your home. And Jesus says it's an opportunity for what? What is it? What do you think about that? Have you noticed how how self-centered we are that if we suffer any kind of difficulty, we are mad with God. And we think something ridiculous, something wrong is happening. And yet Jesus says, I'm promising you suffering's coming. And for you, it's an opportunity to witness. Now, isn't that a different way to view mistreatment? But you see, we can't live so egocentric, can we? We must live Christ-centric. Oh, we're going to always, wait a minute, I'm mistreated, I'm this, I'm, you know, I'm a victim, I'm this. And Christ is saying, so what would you do with it? Well, I can't talk to them. No, you don't have to come up with the argument, Fred. My spirit will give you the words and they won't even be able to argue against it. Are you ready? Who's ready to live like that? I like this God that gives me what I want, makes me comfortable. Provides everything I want. Lots of retirement, good medical care, you know. A few plugs. Do you see how we're missing it? The fifth sign is the defection of false believers. The fifth birth pain is related to the fourth. As persecution intensifies, many professing Christians will defect. Verse 10. Then many others will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. You will even be betrayed by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will kill some of you. And you will be hated all because of my name. Not what you do, who you are. But not a hair of your head will be lost. And that means eternally. Doesn't mean this, this, this body will suffer no pain. And by your endurance, gain your lives. See, the people who fall away, though, I want you to hear this. You've got to hear this carefully. Will not be true believers. They will not be Christians who are just kind of weak in their nature or, or, or are filled with fear. They will be unbelievers who have some religious orientation, who maybe go to church, who even have declared the, the good news, prayed it. But under pressure... Their true character is revealed. And they openly reject Christ and betray his people for self-preservation. Look in Matthew 10. Look in Matthew 13. 2 Timothy 2. 1 John 2. They went out from us. They looked to be part of us. Look at 
Now, I'm not saying that a person who is a genuine Christian will never have weakness. Sometimes you will experience some weakness, some doubt, even some disobedience, perhaps some fear. But let me tell you this. You will not reject the Lord you love and who loves you. You won't do it. Well, I don't know about that. No, I want you to understand this. I can't be forced to say, I don't love my wife or my children. It's, it's, it's who I am. How could I even, what does that even make any sense? If you know Christ, you love Christ. You, you can't deny who you are. You understand? I'm not talking about this little shallow thing of, but I prayed my, I raised my hand. No, no. I'm talking about being born again, being filled with the Spirit of God, being transformed. It's just who you are. We don't endure because of our own self-control and strength. We endure because we are indwelt with God's Spirit who will not release us. Scripture doesn't say, you better hold on to God. Scripture says, God holds me by my right hand. Scripture in Romans says, listen, they'll stand because he will make them stand. It's who you are. And then they continue, and then he continues speaking. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. This is another way that people step away from Christ. Because false prophets will teach these doctrines persuasively. And it'll seem true. I mean, think about it. Doesn't it sound true? God wants you to be happy. God wants you to love whomever you love. I can't find it anywhere, can you? But it seems true and it, it'll, it'll deceive many, but it won't deceive true believers. It's like that passage we all know, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. And it says that people will follow their own desires and they'll gather around them some teachers who will say whatever, whatever their itching ears want to hear. And those churches will abound. Matthew 24, 24, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, 2 Corinthians 11, 12 through 15, which says even Satan who appears as an angel of light, he doesn't appear as a demon, he appears as an angel, and he seeks to deceive the elect if that were possible. You understand that? He can't deceive you if you've been claimed by Jesus Christ. Other people will reject righteous living just to pursue pleasure. Verse 12. And because lawlessness, which means just disobeying God's word or God's law, will multiply and the love of many will grow cold. 
You know, it's interesting. We see people whose lives have grown cold and they pursued an immoral lifestyle. And we say, oh, no, they're Christians because I know what they did when they were 8, 9, 10, 12, 15, 17. I don't see that in here, do you? And immoral behavior will not be hidden. It'll be displayed brazenly by people declaring their rejection of God and their involvement in immorality as, as being liberating. Some will still claim to be followers of, of Christ. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be the one delivered. Now look, a person's endurance is not what produces salvation. You understand this, right? Endurance is a spirit-empowered product and, and it's a proof that you've been transformed and you're born again. So will you stand when you suffer? Do you stand now when anyone asks you about your faith at work? The sixth sign is the declaration of the gospel. And the, the sixth and the final birth pain will indicate that the time is near when there's a worldwide declaration of good news. At verse 14, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You know, there are currently 6,692 unreached people groups in the world, which means less than 2% are Christ followers, less than 5% are professed the Christian faith. But I want you to notice closely, this verse does not say people will believe the gospel throughout the world. It says the gospel will be proclaimed. In other words, the gospel will stand as a witness against their unbelief if they reject. And you know, sometimes we say, well, see, with all this, with the internet and with TV and with radio and all that, we're about to cover the whole globe with the gospel. Perhaps, but I'm not even sure it's talking about that because it may actually be referring to God himself spreading the good news by his spirit or even through an angel in heaven. Revelation 14, 6 and 7 appears to indicate that. I had a seminary professor. He had this idea that revival would occur throughout the world. He said, look, it began in Israel. It moved into Asia Minor, which are now most Muslim. It's the Muslim world today. But revival happened. Paul spread it into Asia Minor. It, it moved into, into Russia. It settled in Europe. And the Reformation even occurred. It moved to America where there were two great revivals in the United States. It's now still thriving in Southeast Asia. It's thriving in parts of Africa. Revival is occurring in parts of South America. 
But my professor said he thought the Spirit would return with the gospel in power again to Israel. And the world would end. And Christ would return. Is Christ coming soon? I don't know. Here's a better question, a more important question. Are you ready for his return? And are you watching for it eagerly? Which means you're living with eyes cast upward. With a life that's awaiting the return of your Savior. There'll be counselors here. You can come now, counselors. If someone wants to talk with them, pray with them. Again, they'll anoint you with oil for healing. As I've said, it's not automatic. Sometimes it occurs. Other times it doesn't. That's God's choice. But we certainly are called to pray. People will be here as long as you want them to. Father God, I pray that we would live as a people whose lives are pointed heavenward, whose eyes are looking up, and that the life we live on earth would be one where we know and display that it's a transitory existence. And we look for the return of our much-loved Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or by checking out our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening, and have a blessed week.